Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. Little extra episode, isn't it, Chris? It is indeed a bonus popping one. A bonus popping one? <laughs> I meant to say popping one. Ah. <laughs> How are you, Chris? I'm very well. It's, it's a nice uh, evening, Saturday night. I've had a really unstressful day. And <laughs> <laughs> relaxing and I uh, thought, I'd, well, we could have a chat. Yeah, so you pulled me in here. What have you pulled me in here, Chris? Who have you been speaking to? Well... Uh, the Overlord sent me a message via the tube. I had spoken to Helen O'Hara again from Empire Podcast, and uh, she's a movie journalist, as you all know. So she was hoodwinked into coming onto the show again. So they wanted it put out, basically, as soon as possible. And so you're here. and I'm uh, here. So am I. And we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to do a top five. And it's a sad day. It is a sad day because it is going to be our last top five. But yeah, we, stay tuned to the end because it's going to be replaced by a exciting new featurette. Yeah, a new feature. It's new feature time. Pour this interview into my ears, Chris. Pour it in. Yeah, so Helen came in and we spoke about her movie Guilty Pleasure, which was 2005's Constantine, starring the fantastically amazing Keanu Reeves and Rachel Wise. But it had a really mixed review when it came out, or, or some quite critically panned, especially on Rotten Tomatoes. But anyway, here for yourself, here's the interview. Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. And it's me, Chris. I'm delighted to be joined by Helen O'Hara, who's been hoodwinked into delving into the bunker again. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. So the Overlords got in touch and said, look, you, you know, your, your time is due for another slot on the bunker. Yeah, that's it. You know, I had no choice. What could I do? Film choice today is one of your kind of another guilty pleasure or a poorly rated film that you want to sing the praises of? What, what's yeah, I'd I, I take the ladder. I have no guilt about liking Constantine at all. What if I told you that God and the devil made a wager for the souls of all mankind? No direct contact with humans. That would be the rule. Just influence. See who would win. Demons stay in hell. Angels in heaven. They call it the balance. I need to see what you see. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them, they see you. Understand? Oh God. Go to hell. It was a controversial film in some ways uh, mm. when it first came out. And I remember going to see it with a couple of colleagues from Empire. And I think two of us really liked it. Yeah. And the one who was actually writing the review was not so keen. I think it gets a lot of things right. So I'm willing to con to kind of forgive the things that are not so great. About it, yeah, it certainly is kind of divisive in a way i mean it got better reviews on imdb because it came out like a seven out of ten but on rotten tomatoes it's a 40 percent, which is quite low mm. obviously while we're reviewing it and it came yeah. out what 2005 directed by francis lawrence who's pretty much gone in on to sort of direct everything that jennifer lawrence has been in are they related <laughs> no, no relation. Um, <laughs> but he, he was brought into the Hunger Games sequels, um, if memory serves. And then yeah. they just clearly got on really well. I think he did, did he do three out of four Hunger Games? He, he certainly did the last yeah. two. Did he do Red, yeah. he did Red Sparrow, I think, as well. He did Red Sparrow as well, yeah, which I didn't like. Um, no. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think, you know, he has a real eye. And, um, and if, especially in this film, I think he 
he just uh, has a real sense of what works and what what it, how it needs to look you know and it's actually a very visually impressive film i think even if you're not a fan of all the elements of it i think there are images in this film that actually really stay with you and yeah and that's one of the many reasons i like it lots of things work i think in terms of as you say the tone and the palette and you might have to explain to me because i'm not a dc person <laughs> but this this is a dc thing isn't it this character yeah it is i it's not quite dc it's more I think it's vertigo originally and so that was that's not quite do you know what I mean it's it's owned by DC but it's not quite the same it's not quite the same kind of tone or quite the same yeah. kind of sense you know the the cover of the first issue was a Dave McKean cover um who, who drew the the covers of the Sandman issues so it was always a bit kind of offbeat a bit cooler I mean this is a character created by Alan Moore so you know it's going to be a little bit different he's kind of a magician but he's kind of a punk street magician in some ways but a magician in, in the sense of true magic not in the sense of sleight of hand um he turns up actually in in neil gaiman's sandman series as well and and then got his finally got his own title after being uh, introduced in swamp thing if memory serves he's a really cool character and a really interesting character but he is a blonde liverpudlian <laughs> so casting keanu reeves and setting it in la yeah. immediately lost you about 50% of Constantine fans. Yeah, but do, do, what do you think of the, the casting then and his, his sort of turn as Constantine in terms of what you already know of the, of the character? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's different from the comic book uh, version, which you will see much, much more clearly in the, in the TV show yeah. um, version. Um, but I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Keanu Reeves fan, and so I love him. I, and I, I think he's actually a really good fit for this. He's being much more of an asshole than usual. Yes. Frankly. One of my notes I wrote down that he's, he's extremely pushy in this film when it yeah. comes to all the characters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not pushy in a sort of, you know, sexist way or anything like that, but no. just really just does not give a damn about anyone else. Yeah. Has to be really persuaded to care about anyone and, and is aggressively has a bad attitude, you know? Yeah. He's, he's kind of a bit of a dick. In yes. This. Um, but, Again, that's, that's, you know, that's more of a performance than people give Keanu credit for, I think. Or we're, we're certainly giving him credit for at the time. But, but it, it does fit the character because Constantine is not a simple hero. He's always been a little bit in, you know, in a grey area. He did slightly dodgy things in the pursuit of hopefully better outcomes. Mm. So you know, there's a lot of trickery in his stories. He usually outthinks his opponents rather than just, you know having bigger guns or whatever, yeah. um, whether literally or sort of supernaturally speaking. He's stuck in limbo, isn't he, essentially? He was born able to see the demons that walk among us. That's the kind of the shtick of this movie, isn't it? Heaven and hell exist and, and kind of they're in honour of sorting us out on the sly. Yeah, um, essentially, heaven and hell exist. They can't interfere directly, but their half-breed offspring can. Yeah. Don't ask me how the half-breeds got there in the first place, because that would seem like direct action, but hey-ho. And so they try to manipulate us and, and on behalf of heaven and hell. So you've got angels and demons kind of fighting out on the mortal plane. And essentially, Constantine, when he needs to, fighting both sides. The, this is kind of taken from the Garth Ennis run of the comics, which was very, very popular. And it's basically it has the idea that Constantine has lung cancer, 
and yeah. is desperate to try to find a way to save himself. So that's kind of where we are in the, in the early part of this film, where he is preoccupied with this fatal disease mm. and is trying to find a way out of going to hell because he's been there already and he knows it ain't good. Yeah. Um, and in the middle of this, you get Rachel Weisz's characters one of whom is a twin who kills herself and the other one is a twin looking for answers as to why. And he's just not interested because he's, you know, he's got other things to think about. Keanu Reeves, bless him. I don't know anybody who doesn't like Keanu and he's a fantastic mm. man as well as actor and just an all-round gentleman. He can't, can't cough act, I don't think. His cough... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know how, I don't know, there's a special thing you have to do or a course you need to go on to do that. I'll get that specialised. <laughs> but I found it, I found that quite bizarre. I had never noticed that. I did not particularly <laughs> have a problem with his coughing. Oh, oh dear. I think, I think now I've pointed out, Helen, you might, you might not see it the same. But he had a, <laughs> the constant supply of tissues or hankies and his blood was, it was like jelly. It was like a strawberry jam as opposed to like the thick, dark blood you get usually. It was just a small thing. And I think once I saw it, it kind of jarred on me. It's a, a silly small um, hill to die on, I guess, in terms of coughing. We touched on cast as well with with Rachel Weisz. I think this film has got 2005's hit list, isn't it, really? Uh, With the exception of Gavin uh, Rosdale from Bush. Um, (laughs) He just turns up. Yeah, yeah, he he does his best, but he's not he's not the great most chari- uh, charismatic of uh, actors, I don't think. He doesn't have to do very much. He just has to glower in a very good suit. He yeah. does pull the suit off very well. But we've got a very young um, Shia LaBeouf doing very much a Shia LaBeouf. Uh, yeah, I think I think that was a, a thing that people generally hated about the film, and that certainly isn't my favourite aspect of it. Yeah. I think if you actually stay through the end credits, they're going for something with that. Yeah. But um, but perhaps it wasn't the best decision. I'm not sure he needed a child sidekick, really, to talk to. Especially since Shia LaBeouf played a very similar role in iRobot the same year, which probably didn't help either. Judging by what I read on IMDb, which is obviously all true, that it was Will obviously. Smith, Will Smith that had some clout in terms of getting him this role. But it's kind of a, he's a little bit like uh, it's like an Indiana Jones type psychic, but without the charisma. And he's a taxi driver. Is his kind of his chauffeur, his driver, learning the ropes sort of thing, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's it. It's almost like an apprentice is the idea, and he he kind of keeps at Constantine for lessons in how to do this stuff. You know, not entirely convinced by. So yeah, but so that they're good. You've got um, Jaimin Hunsu in there as well as a sort of uh, witch doctor voodoo man yeah he's really good he he he's stands good. out yeah yeah mm. as so and does um uh, pruitt taylor vince who i've seen in loads of stuff um and he's he looks so upset all the time <laughs> <laughs> yes he does <laughs> not without reason in fairness and uh, tilda swinton yeah now these are the two best pieces of casting we're, we're going into spoiler territory very much of here, course tilda swinton and peter stormare are just fantastic fantastic casting in this film Tilda Swinton first of all as an androgynous Angel Gabriel Mm. like sold where do I sign up come on that's Mm -hmm. that's perfect if you have Tilda Swinton and she's not playing someone faintly otherworldly I feel like you're wasting our time you know and and this film does not waste our time she is perfect uh, in that role. And I'm sure, yes, it absolutely builds on her casting in Orlando um, with that sort of androgyny, but I don't care if they weren't the first to do it, they do it, and that's what matters. Yeah. I think she's great. And then Peter Stormare is just this incredibly greasy devil. 
is again just wonderful I think the way that even the way he is, he enters the scene is fantastic. Yeah. Another like an oily birth from the top of the screen. Um, you see his feet, his bare feet first, his white suit and a lot of tar. Um, and he's, it, it's amazing. He's probably one of the best, I guess, Satan acting yes. performances I've ever seen. And he should only play, or should be the only person that plays the devil in, in any future film, in my opinion. I kind of feel the same way because he turns up at the very end of the film. It's kind of like um, John Hurt at the end of History of Violence. He just turns up for this one amazing scene. Mm. And it's amazing. But it, it just, yeah, it's, it's just that little tiny bit, but it's so well done. You're the one soul I would come up here to collect myself. Mm-hmm. So I've heard. You mind? Oh, go, go right ahead. I've got stock. Coffin now. Very fitting, John. And now when you cut too deep, you cut the tendons. Finger movement goes out the window. Let me help you. See? Sonny, I've got a whole theme park full of red delights for you. Aren't you, Peach? I didn't think you would make the same mistake twice. And you didn't, did you? So it's a family. Family's doing just fine. Busy, 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 busy. Need a vacation. Word is that kid of yours is a chip off the old block. Well, one does what one can. He's in the other room. Boys will be boys. With Gabriel. Hmm. No accounting for taste, really. They have the spear of destiny. They have the spear of destiny. <laughs> or is it another one of your cons? It's a really good beat as well in, in the way that uh, Constantine kind of tricks him into, you know, supporting him or, or getting to the, I guess, what, what would they call it, the, the end game in terms of or his mission, um, saving Rachel Weisz's character and obviously getting revenge on Tilda Swinton as Gabriel as well. And that brilliant scene between the two of them together where they, uh, Tilda, uh, Angel Gabriel's, what's, what's she doing? Kind of like... Um, uh, going behind Satan's back in a way to try and for yeah. her own needs and her own wants to sort of rule heaven and earth and hell, I guess, at once. Yeah, to, to provoke <laughs> the war between heaven and hell that she thinks is predestined. That's the one. You got there a lot quicker than I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I liked um, the little bits of Gabriel's uh, costume, which or, or kind of get up was really cool. She had all those like, like uh, hospital tags, like loads of hospital tags around her or on her arms, which I thought was yeah. a really cool detail. Which was just yeah. she's, not, she's not dressed in you know, robes as such, but it's kind of combat trousers, white combat mm. trousers, a grey vest top, and and the wings coming out. It's it's pretty cool. And the, 
the vest top is, if I remember correctly, sort of laced up. It's almost there's there's a hint of um, straight jacket. I think about it. Ah, yeah, yeah. Some kind of confinement and stuff, which yeah, yeah again, is really good. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic look for both of them. You know, having Satan turn up in a white suit. You yeah. know, again, sold perfect, of course. There's a couple of really good tropes recently with the podcast. We've kind of been delving into a lot of this kind of genre. So we've done I Frankenstein and Van Helsing, uh, Dracula 2000, lots of similar sort of stuff with a lot of uh, like gothic storytelling involved. Yeah. And one, one thing, uh, even Ghost Rider, the Nicolas Cage one, it, these oh, yeah. movies have got a very similar beats, haven't they? So there's the, there's the savant kind of character or the, the kind of cue like Max Baker plays the B-man, who's Constantine's aide in terms of he has the book, which explains the plot points, which yeah. all these films have. If, you, if you're not following, here's where we are, last third of the film. This, mm. is what, this is where we're going. If you didn't understand, we're going to lay it all out for you now with pictures as well, so you, just to, to make it even easier for you. And you know, this, yeah. this, he can create weapons, or he's got um, his hands on potions or spells, and he's in a man cave, which is full of jars and things. So that's very similar and angels and demons and the gothic kind of men in blackness about it because it's got yeah. that kind of angle, hasn't it? It does. Um, I think there's a lot of, I think it's, that's very hard to get past in kind of fantasy movies, whether, you know, fantasy fantasy or, or this kind of urban fantasy. You've always got to explain what the rules are and how far you can go and what you can't do. And it's really hard to do elegantly. Mm. Um, you know, if you've got something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point, they can kind of skip a lot of that stuff because we've got 23 films. We kind of know how this works. But if you're a standalone movie, I don't know how you entirely get around that. You know, somebody's going to have to explain what you can and can't do because otherwise you're it's chaos, you know, and you just have the audience un, unable to suspend disbelief mm. um, because they, they're, they're just sitting there going, well, why doesn't he just, you know, I don't know. Why doesn't he just go to hell and kill the devil himself. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We need to know why. We need to understand that, you know. And the human characters that are in these stories that are going along with the, these, like, fantastical characters, they, any normal situation, if this was true, they would be yeah. going mad out of their minds because this is, it was too much to take on board for any normal yeah. human being. But that kind of savant, kind of calm, collective explaining of the situation just seems to bridge that gap for us, doesn't it, I think, in terms of movie storytelling. Yeah, it's always useful to have somebody there who doesn't know what's going on because it gives the lead a chance to explain it uh, or sometimes a sidekick, depending on, you know, the, the setup. Um, mm. But yeah, you, you, need, you need them to be... Well, some of them do go a bit crazy, don't they? Some of them go a bit more panicky than others. The, the example that comes to mind is a really bad one, actually, because it doesn't quite fit the trope, but it's um, Ruby Rod in The Fifth Element, just yeah. completely screaming as everything goes crazy crazy around him there are a few characters who do that at least for a couple of scenes um but the problem is they need to stay coherent enough to have things explained to them so mm. they can't be reduced to gibbering idiocy they have to be at, at most in shock yeah, and yeah. not really reacting emotionally i think I think Rachel Wise does that perfectly. She's mm. she's great and one of my one of my favorite characters as, as uh, sorry um, actors as well as Keanu Reeves. So the the, the 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 casting of those two main leads is 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 is, is fantastic and brilliant. What, what do you think? Kind of the reason is this film didn't 
critically do as well as it as it uh, may have done or hoped to have done? Yeah, I think there's um, there's a few reasons. I think first of all, if you abandon key elements of the comic, so being a blonde Liverpudlian, mm. for example, being you know set in I think London in the comics for the most part, but certainly the UK in favour of LA, you kind of set yourself up for a bit of a war from the fans and that can be really really dangerous i think it's quite a cool idea here because i feel like la is you know has that whole noir association that kind of lone detective uh, maverick kind of feel so i actually think it works really well but i think that because i wasn't a huge fan of these comics at the time this came out i'd only read a few of them and i wasn't mm. wed that character so i think with any superhero movie if you move away from the character and the rules that people love you are in for a kicking from somebody at least now i don't think that the film critics who, who didn't like this film were particular fans of the comics i think most of them probably had never read them yeah. um, but i think film critics some of what you're saying you know about this kind of over familiarity of these tropes already in 2005 I think was a part of it. And I think the tone of this one is is a bit more self-serious than they were maybe willing to allow and a bit more um, downbeat ultimately. Mm. And quite, quite, it's quite gloomy and quite dark in some ways. Yeah. And, you know, I think they were willing to forgive more if you gave them a few more laughs. There are some laughs in this. We, you know, um, Constantine staring deep into the eyes of a cat with his feet in a bath of water. Yeah. That's weird, you know. Because like, cats, are, cats are half in and half out of hell, and oh no, that's that was the good exactly. Thing. <laughs> so I think like that is is quite a funny image, and I, I'm pretty sure it's deliberately funny. But I don't think that every critic would agree with me on that. Yeah, it takes itself very seriously. I think if if we did have a bit less of the movie as well, because it is quite long, maybe half an hour could have could have been done with shaving off. Uh, yeah, yeah, and have have a bit more of the humour in the body uh, the body character because. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf yeah. It was hot property potentially, or or on his way up certainly. And um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's, there's there's some problems there because you know you. I think you could have done without him and just had um, Angela Rachel Weisz's character. Yeah, but the she's in mourning, so she's not going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And and so I think they thought, well, we need. Chaz, we need Shia LaBeouf for a bit of fun and a bit of lightness. But yeah. then you've got the annoying child sidekick. Yeah. So there's no easy way to win there, I think. And, and you know, they, I think they've, they've maybe wrote themselves into that corner a little bit. Because we have seen it in other films, these characters who are meant, well, most recently in, can I say this, Spider-Man Far From Home? But there's a character there who's in mourning, but he's also really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's still pretty much cracking wise the whole time. So does that take away from the idea that he is, you know, suffering a loss? Did they make these films always with the intention to have a follow-up potentially? I think at that point in Hollywood, they were more making them with a hope of a follow-up. I don't mm. think in 2005, you necessarily went in going, here is my three film arc, yeah. which I think some people do now. And I, I don't think it was quite as common then. Um, so, so I think, you know, they were certainly open to it. I'm sure the studio would have loved for it to be uh, a franchise and, mm. and, I'm sure that whatever contract that um, Keanu Reeves and Rachel Weisz signed certainly had an option at the very least mm. for more movies. But um, but no, I don't I don't think they would have gone in kind of assuming that or planning for that in the way that that a lot of films do nowadays. So I think you know Constantine deserves to to be 
seen i think would you agree it's not a it's not a a, a, a stinker by any means is it no, absolutely not. I think it. I think it absolutely deserves to be seen. I think there's great ideas in it. Yeah. The depiction of hell as a sort of almost nuclear ruined version of our own world, um, with sort of the wind howling and no water anywhere. That's it's really compelling. Um, the demons are properly horrible and terrifying, slightly Hieronymus Boschy um, kind of creatures. Uh, yeah. Constantine's weapons to fight these things are weird and bizarre and great. Um, and, and you've got Tilda Swinton and Peter Stormare as heaven and hell, respectively. So happy days. Yeah, look at the cast. Yeah, look at uh, yeah, the, the feel and the gothicness of it and just switch it. No, no, don't switch off because you'll lose a lot of the point, uh, the plot, but you're going to expect it later. Yeah, by all means, no, no, actually don't switch off because it's really important that you stay, stay on with this one. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think this is definitely not a bunker movie. Anyway, you get you get a um, a free pass anyway because you're a special guest. So yeah, that's just, oh, thank you. you know you, we never let our films go <laughs> in the bunker for the guests. Um, so right. we've got a little bit of fatigue with these kind of dark, dreary movies. But what else have we got? We did Happy Time Murders last episode, and that oh. that was um, that was different. That I mean, that's not, nothing like this. <laughs> it's completely well, it- different. And both LA detective stories, I guess. Yes, that was the thing. <laughs> yeah, but you could have this movie done with puppets. It would probably elevate uh, it slightly, maybe even if they did the voices. Again, they've kind of they kind of did that with an episode of Angel. I mean, they again, yes, LA yes. detective, and <laughs> got turned into a Muppet that one time, and it was brilliant. Puppets and demons—that's what it'd be called. <laughs> I'm I would watch that. that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much again for coming on and, uh, and defending the honour of this, this, this pretty epic movie. I'll have to agree with you. It's definitely... Thanks again and uh, take care. Pleasure. If we were to draw a graph of my process, of my method, something like this. Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, action. Wizard, you shall not pass! Cut! Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. That was good. I liked that. I enjoyed that interview. Yeah, I, so, I kind of agree. I think Constance is one of my little guilty plays. This is one of those sort of shit films that when you first watched it because of hype and um, expectation, you were probably slightly disappointed. But then over time, you've kind of mellowed. It's like many sorted crisps. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, when you first had them as a child, you're like, well, okay, they're fine, but it's no prawn cocktail. <laughs> no, it gets a then, good comparison, yeah. Yeah, and then later on, you kind of go, oh, actually, I appreciate this nutty potatoey flavor anyway the last ever top five is upon you so i you challenged me to find five standalone films for star wars characters basically that was it, it. trips I off the tongue doesn't it i mean i'm trying i keep trying to think of a more succinct way of saying it but it, it is it's that and i don't think there's a more succinct way of saying it it's just i love star wars and i know you do too but i'm a massive star wars fan and this is this is uh this was quite heaven but then it was very difficult to pick five out okay well I'm, i can't wait any longer chris um is there a particular order or is it just there is an order Ooh. so thank you very much so number five we've got cornelius everzan and ponda baba so I've, I've kind of cheated it's not just a standalone for one character it's kind of a double act uh, uh, a okay. duo, if you like so you may not know these two uh, by their names but uh, they were in rogue one and a new hope and they're a murderous uh. duo uh, created but the very first time we saw them basically they were in the cantina in episode one 
A New Hope, and we see the effects of the lightsaber for the very first time. Yes, this is the, the walrus guy in the pig face man, right? That's correct. Uh, he sacrificed his arm for, uh, for us to see an iconic moment on screen. Um, and we thank him for that and his ugly companion. But <laughs> this would be a kind of buddy road movie with a twist because if they have with every star wars character even if they're you know a member of the if they're just like a in the bar having us having a drink they've got a rich backstory okay so yes. you can thumb through any any kind of, like i say the encyclopedia and learn about all about the little bat guys uh, past you know um but these two well cornelius everson is um he is a doctor or a surgeon, and he's got, his buddy is, is Ponda Baba. He's basically his assistant. They go around basically... Well, that, that, that's canon. That's... Yes. They're, they're, right, they're, okay. um, they, are, they, they kind of do dirty stuff, um, like backstreet surgeons. So it's kind of got a little, bit of, a little bit of a vibe of Birkenhair and Sweeney Todd. So I mean, it could be a really dark, even potentially could be a, a musical. But, you know, Ponda Baba <laughs> just sounds like a walrus. <laughs> My friend doesn't like you. Uh, I don't <laughs> like you either. So, but yeah, you can imagine it would be like a really sort of horrible, grotesque kind of horror in a way of these guys harvesting parts and doing dirty deeds on the back, in the back streets. Even it could even be like a like a black comedy where it like at every turn shit goes wrong for them. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. What well, a great double act! One that we can understand and one that we can't potentially not even give them some. Wow, I, I did not know he was a surgeon. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have pegged it. I mean, he looks dirty. I mean, yeah. Like, Google that one, bad boy. Uh, wow. What do you okay. think, number five? Good? Great start. Yeah, I would watch the shit out of that. Okay, number four. You ready for this? I'm ready. This is the character. His name is Paudok Draba Takat Sap Nik Kivef Nik Nevasaf Lekek Ak, aka Pau. And he was in Rogue One. Now, this guy, you would remember him as one of one of the only non-human sort of Rogue One uh, characters. His name is a mouthful, but he's a little guy with a massive mouth. And he is one of the team that does the assault on Scarif at the very beginning. Uh, sorry, right, yeah. at, at the end of the film. Yeah. Do you know who I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. He shouts I really do. loud and goes, ah, that's all he does, basically. But yeah. he looks so cool. He's got like a little f- kind of uh, soft helmet on, a uh, big gun, and runs around with the human sort of uh, rebels on uh, Scarif. Him and the monkey dude, who are the kind of the only kind of real couple of aliens they used in the kind of the goodies, if you like, in Rogue One, were really, really underused. And I was really disappointed because in a lot of the promo shots that were used for the when Rogue One was coming out, they were kind of yeah. front and center, but they were kind of really just background characters and had a few scenes right at the end when they were doing the invasion. And so I just think, one of those characters that looked cool, so they used them for posters and promos and then yeah, had, and he, had no real part. But um, so for him, I think he deserves a, a standalone film just for the fact that he looks bloody cool and he was underused in Rogue One. But this would be like a, a really gritty, full metal jacket kind of war movie. So all the kind of uh, soldiers and the rebels that were used on that uh, final battle on Scarif in Rogue One were probably all hardened uh, soldiers at one point or mercenaries. You know, they were the, the bad bunch, uh, kind of like a dirty dozen type affair, um, yeah. which is kind of the movie was pitched as in some ways. Um, but they could have 
a backstory of those guys and have uh, Powell being like front and center and leading the film not necessarily speaking English as well. We could have him subtitled. It'd be, it'd be really cool to see sort of like, uh, like, you know, like you say, full metal jacket, kind of them in the, the boot camp and through mm. their first few forays with the, the rebellion. No, like that. Are we ready for number three? Oh, you didn't get lost. You disappoint me, Chris. Normally around no, here, I like, know what I'm doing. Like, I know what I'm doing. I've written it down. So number three is uh, the GNK power droid, commonly known as the gonk droid. Gonk, gonk. So you see him <laughs> band crawler and you see him in all the films. They always put one in a little homage to the gonk droid in the background. So he's basically a, a walking trash can on legs. Um, but he, he's, he basically provides power. He's like a walking power unit. Do you know the guy I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big like, square thing. He's big square with like, like, I don't know, tubes for legs with these big metal. Yeah, they did the sort of cheap thing where they put sort of like air duct. That's right. So you, so you couldn't see like human legs walking, but it's, it's got a very fluid walking motion despite it being a, a gonk droid. This would be a kind of silent movie or a love story, a bit like Wally. And we would be seeing <laughs> almost like the trilogy unfolding all these characters in his eyes. So he would be providing power to, I don't know, the pod race or maybe in the rebellion uh, camp on Yavin, he'd be sort of there in the background seeing all these big, big stuff happening, but he'd be secretly falling in love with another power droid or or something, you know, like a, a power unit in the corner. And it'd be him trying to woo them with his. Like a forest, forest dunk. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know you know wally did so much with very little and it was all in the eyes and the way he was that's some of the i mean Wally's some of what like the opening 20 30 minutes of that is some of the finest filmmaking that you'll see because yeah. there's nothing in it you, you know there's no, well, there's no there's no words there's no communication verbally and it's amazing I just love to see uh, a gonk droid making out with another gonk droid in some weird perverted way. See, see, I'm sold just because I said Forrest Gunk. Gonk, sorry. Sorry, Forrest Gonk. Forrest Gunk. My mama told me laugh is like an extension cord. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, number two. Uh, This is a bit more familiar, but it's Max Rebo. And Max Rebo was the blue alien elephant leader of the space band called, wait for it, the Jizz Whalers. <laughs> <laughs> so we see him in Jabba's palace of weirdos and, and we love him. as. But yeah, he, he's a keyboard wizard. He's kind of like, I don't know, some weird psychedelic geezer. And, you know, he, he looks, he is a blue a blue elephant but basically with very stumpy legs he does he actually doesn't have legs he kind of like has i think he walks on his hands there's some interpretations of him there's a big there was a big issue with his toy release because they gave him legs but actually he's his thing that he sits on which is like a big round uh like a uh, cushion with the keys of the piano going all the way around so he can swivel basically yeah. that on top of that there's no he's not through it so he hasn't got legs in the conventional way he uses his arms his, his legs he's got little paddles so he's like a little stumpy fella. And so the toys aren't accurate. So just to give you a little bit of backstory on that. Um, but this would be... I'm going to go upstairs now and just rip the legs off mine. <laughs> but this would be kind of like a, a music kind of... I don't know whether it would be Fly on the Wall documentary, but it would be like a bit like Walk the Line. Um, or <laughs> TikTok. So it look like 
Kurt Cobain one that we've seen recently. So it'd be his like either rags to riches or riches to rags, because I don't know whether him getting a gig on the barge boat with Jabba the Hutt is kind of like the riches, you know, he's making money yeah. off Jabba. He's a, you know, he's a big deal. He's a big uh, warlord or, or gangster or would it be the other way around where he starts off doing these shitty little gigs at Jabba's palace and he eventually gets spotted by a talent agent and uh, goes sky high into like, you know, Coruscant playing the, the big venues a bit like Vegas and gets a residency somewhere um, with his band, the Jizz Whalers, but he might have a bit of an addiction to something snorting things up his little blue trunk, uh, <laughs> you know, wading around drunk and gets pulled up by, you know, the, his mates in the band. And then, turns himself around maybe with the help of a woman or another you know, alien. Yes, it might be like a star is born where he's, he helps the young singer or something. And well, then you could have it like um, almost famous where you had like a, like a, a witness in the band following it for like uh rock star magazine or whatever it would be. Yes. In the future. That'd be that, cool. That would work actually. That would work. So that's, that's my number two, Max Rebo and the Jizz Whalers. And so this leads me to number one. And this one is a big clunking obvious one. So apologies, but I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because this, uh-huh. char- this character is one of my just favorite characters, not just in Star Wars, but of all time. I, I, I want to be this person, this character. I want, I, you know, I look up to this person, literally. It's Chewbacca. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you seem underwhelmed. <laughs> Oh, no, it's just that the way he's building up, I thought, oh, it's going to be Boba Fett. It's going to be Boba Fett. No, Boba Fett was nearly there, but I thought, that's too obvious. I can't go Boba Fett. And he's kind of had his moment of exposition, hasn't he, really? Yeah. Because they kind of of alluded to how he was, you know, created in the outer Clone Wars, etc. But Chewie, okay, cool. Well, listen, Chewie's got so much potential because what he does on screen with just very little um his his manners he's just like a massive dog isn't he he's just playful he's uh he's honorable he's got honor he's got um he's a good psychic he's a good friend he's badass at fighting he's a good shot he's a good technician he's a, he's, a, he's everything he's he can do he everything. everything yeah he's an old geezer as well he's been around for 300 years or is it or, or whatever and he's got a lovely family <laughs> as we know this is what i think so he's got a lovely family with uh, as we know with it lumpy and itchy and the other one uh marla and Herbie. so yeah, so there's loads we could do. I don't know whether we would <laughs> we'd have to go to Kishek at some point. Whether there would be like a a porn hub station uh, <laughs> for him, I don't know. Maybe you just pop home. I mean, I would watch this just to try and get an, uh, an idea of what that fucking thing is that um, yeah. that the grandpa wears that that Christmas morning. Or no, not for Christmas. What was it? Festival oh, happy, happy life day life day happy life day that was it yeah, yeah. so how could i fucking forget <laughs> yeah burn into my retina hole but maybe you know in solo we see how he was we see his solo and him meet for the first time in that like he's all chained up and shit we don't know yeah, how he got the, there how did he get there and it's a bit of a change from i think the canon or what was canon in the books is that he was rescued by um han han solo from Bosk and who was a, one of those bounty hunter, hunter lizard guys, and their race yes. basically enslaved the the Wookies, and um, that's how that relationship uh, developed, or the Wookie life debt was created. Not this kind of meeting in this muddy muddy prison cell. Um, right. But anyway, 
you know, we could either do we could either do a bit more of a backstory on that kind of enslavery thing, or we could just go with the fact that how did you get captured by uh, the empire and stuck in the ditch? Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, you could keep that as canon. So you could have like you know escaped from the Bosque at some point, and, like going home, and then got picked up again by the empire on his way back, and then that would then You're segue like, oh, into no, oh, no, fucking hell. <laughs> 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 I'm just trying to get home, you asshole. So there you go. That's number it's life day for God. <laughs> That's number one. Brilliant. I knew that'd be good. I knew. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing it. And um, now, Chris, there, there was some, you know, there were some left field choices there. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, like you say, a, a proper stall that everyone could really relate to. But yeah, no, enjoyed that. Thank you very much. You're a welcome. good fitting last top five. I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty as fuck. Uh. <sighs> what's our next feature then are we going to announce the next feature well our next feature is quite exciting because it could lead to many things or nothing at all <laughs> and that's the beauty of it uh so our next feature is because a lot of these you know, i find a lot of these talks that we have mm. kind of revolve around in us sort of brainstorming and ended up coming up with like a, either better concept for an already existing film or is what you've just done great concepts for, for films that you've done. So um, our new featurette will be um, one of us. <coughs> uh, when I say us, I'm talking about me and Chris, not you. You don't have to get up. You're fine where you are. Um, pitching to the other guy. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, in the interim period between them, think of a film that we'd like to see made, like completely original. Well, fuck it, we could probably do sequels and stuff if we wanted to, if we're feeling so uh, creatively challenged. But yeah, so the format will be a pitch, uh, at which point there will be the usual rebuke, mockery, and, <laughs> and downright slamming of the ridiculous ideas of why this was never made into a film and why we shouldn't make it into a film. Um, and then maybe, maybe, maybe we might make one of these at some point into either a radio podcast or or film it. Who knows? Yeah, Who we, knows? we we get a winner at the end of it. Uh, you know, in, in, I don't know twenty twenty, and we can physically make it uh, however we like. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, right. sounds sounds good. Sounds good. So yeah, the pitch, we'll call it the pitch because it's got a really cool, groovy name, and, and it's ripe for the pitch. And I think I should get a jingle for this one, nice and early. Yeah. Yeah, I think with the top fives as well, we're going to release uh, a little best of collection of the top fives so that you can sit and listen to those to your heart content because there was some That'd good stuff nice. in the a little top compilation. Five. Yeah, little yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't because we need the uh, downloads basically. Um, so yes, but great idea for the for the for a future segment for the podcast. I hope you keep you listening. Thanks again to Helen O'Hara for coming on the on the uh, in the bunker again, and we've got some more special guests coming up this month or the next couple of months at least, and. If you like what you hear, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and write a few words. It goes a long way. Like and subscribe on the old apps and on, on social media. Get involved as well because we love to hear from you. I do love to um, hear from you. I guess next uh, review is a film or the next podcast is a film, which we haven't decided yet, but uh, stay tuned and we'll, we'll release that as soon as we can, isn't it? Is it is a film? The next one, definitely a film. <laughs> so and, thanks, Matt. Stay stay tuned for the odd pop in. Who knew these things existed? <laughs> no, that's right. See you later, Matt. Bye. Bye.